Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the purpose of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have new stories, including the October 2020 vehicle sales, which give a glimmer of hope. We have some interviews. Alan Zervis gives us an overview of the new MG, and Brian Smith has accepted the role of political advisor to the Make Monaro's Great Again campaign. We hear his thoughts. And in our feedback session, we have a story about a Monaro that just sold for big numbers. General Motors joins the electric conversion kit market. And we have covered in recent programs traffic lights and how we could do better. I have some feedback from my attempts to get some information out of government. Now you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. Vehicle sales for the month of October 2020 in Australia were almost as high as they were last year, leading to the industry cautiously saying that this might be the green shoots of new growth. Sales were still down, but only by 1.9% compared to October 2019. The news is actually good for most states and territories, with rises varying between 6% in New South Wales up to 28% in the ACT, but significant declines in Victoria and Tasmania have kept the average growth as a negative. The list of the top five selling vehicles is interesting for the type of vehicles and the manufacturers. The five best-selling models were Toyota Hilux, followed by the Ford Ranger and the Toyota RAV4. A more distant fourth and fifth were the Toyota Land Cruiser and the Toyota Prado. Not surprisingly, Toyota remains the market leader with Mazda second. Hyundai sales are falling significantly, but they hold on to third place. Nissan has unveiled a new model of its Navara Ute. The latest version reinforces the trend towards putting in safety and practical features across the range. Nissan has a package they call the 360-degree safety shield. Given the size and bulk of these vehicles, it's good that it includes a 360-degree camera view, cross-traffic alert, forward collision warning, emergency braking, driver alertness, lane departure warning and intervention, and blind spot warning. Image is still important. They say the new model has a more extroverted and athletic design. And there is a new hero name, the Pro 4X Grade. Nothing is simple to describe anymore. Nissan tells us, for example, that the Navara features high-tech C-shaped quad LED projector headlights. The new pickup goes on sale in December in Thailand. We'll get it sometime later. The largest study of the factors involved in fleets adopting electric vehicles in Australia has found limited action from federal government, high purchase costs and limited availability are the key stumbling blocks in taking up electric vehicles. The survey was initiated by the Australian Fleet Management Association and the New South Wales Department of Planning. The survey heard from 177 organisations, both private and public, 
who control almost 70,000 vehicles. Many organisations have set targets to become carbon neutral. Transport contributes almost 18% of Australia's total emissions, so converting fleets is important but challenging. Larger fleets are the ones most likely to have reached a higher level of EV maturity, but purchase cost, 60%, cost of setting up workplace infrastructure, 45%, and limited choice, 34%, are further stumbling blocks. Despite COVID, over half of the respondents indicated their purchase decisions are still based on business as usual, whilst a quarter said it's watch and wait. The emissions scandal, first identified in Volkswagen products in 2015, is far from over. Reuters has reported that California air regulators have written to vehicle and engine manufacturers and urged them to disclose, by the end of the year, any unapproved hardware or software programs that compromises a vehicle's emission control system. In part, the letter said, voluntary disclosure will trigger a reduction in penalties. Failure to do so may affect the result of future enforcement actions. Next year, the regulators are introducing a new testing laboratory, which they say will inevitably detect any violations a manufacturer has made. The letter was also sent to manufacturers of medium and heavy-duty vehicles and engines, motorcycles, off-road small and large spark ignition engines, off-road recreational vehicles, spark ignition marine engines, and evaporative systems for off-road small and large equipment, and marine watercraft. With the passing of Sean Connery, we think of the cars that were part of the Bond legacy, and it's not just Aston Martins. The latest James Bond, Daniel Craig, said the Toyota 2000 GT is his favourite Bond car. It appeared in the 1967 movie You Only Live Twice. They were built between 1967 and 1970 by Yamaha under contract, and just 351 were made. It was Japan's answer to the E-Type Jaguar, and proved a revelation because it came at a time when Japanese cars were seen as practical but stodgy. The first version had a straight-six, two-litre engine. Two roofless models were made, just for the movie, to accommodate Connery's 188-centimetre frame. One hardtop model sold recently in Indiana for 1.3 million Australian dollars, and another one, in poor condition, was recently found in a garage in Australia. And that has been the news. The sales of MG motorcars have been soaring. I think they are some 60% higher this year than they were last year, even though COVID has obviously taken its effect. They started as being a Chinese company using the name with some cars that were fairly basic, cheap and cheerful. That certainly might be the expression, but have they gone a bit further this time? Alan Zervis has been looking at a new model, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Alan. David, how are you? Very well. What were you driving? Uh, they've come in two models. I took the top model, which is the Essence. The lower one is the Excite. So the ZS, the old model, still is in there at about $22,000 drive away. I think the new ZST is about uh, 29500 for the Excite variant and 32500 for the Essence. 
both drive away. Not great names, really, are they? No, I, I, I really don't. It's, I think Renault uses Excite too, doesn't it, or something weird like that. I don't think it describes what the cars actually do. But what I can tell you is they were a revelation. They were a real surprise on the day of the launch. Quality and features? Both. Prior to that, I thought the previous NG models were a little bit, um, let's just say, aesthetically challenged. They weren't ugly, they just weren't fabulous. Mm. The new one, it's really taken a, a, a leap forward, a quantum leap forward in both what it looks like and what it does and what it drives like. The engine in them, in the past it had a 1.5 litre, and I guess they're still selling that on the on the uh, old model. It was normally aspirated and not really class-leading by any sense. What's the new one like? A 1.3 turbo, three-cylinder. It is much better. It's only 115 kilowatts and 230 newton metres, but it feels much nicer to drive. There's still a touch of turbo lag just to keep you enthused. But the six-speed auto, absolutely beautiful. There's been quite a number of three-cylinder turbocharged engines, usually around one litre. Having the extra bit, I found, meant that the engine didn't feel like it was straining to keep up as much as the smaller engines were. No, quite right. But I think you hit on a point before. It's not class-leading even now, in my view, but what it's done is given us something affordable with all the extras. So it's got a 10-inch infotainment screen, uh, the top of the range essence, which I think still sounds like a weaker word than the one below it, Excite. But anyway, the top of the range essence has a digital dash and uh, you can uh, set that up to your liking to some degree. It's nice to look at, but also it gives you the information that you want in a way that you want it. Yeah. And the room and the interior, and the interior, does it have a reasonable feel or does it still look a bit tacky? I would describe it now as average. Okay. A little bit of stitching is available, as seen, and, and, and others. It has a nice little vent on the side. What did that remind you of? It reminds me of the boot of a 1950s American car, and I really like that, the kind of boot and the taillight layout. looks really effective. It's almost a bit of like the back of a jet engine, that sort of round and protruding type of look to it as well. Alan, this car had an autopilot sort of function. What was it called? MG Pilot, David, and... For the main part, it is really good. It it has all of the functions that you get. What they've done is they've put some of that active stuff, like adaptive cruise control, forward collision warning, automatic emergency warning, lane departure warning, etc. It's also got traffic jam assist and intelligent cruise assist. But the problem is the lane steering or the active steering was a little bit too intrusive. And to be honest, I turned it off. Osroad is doing some research on line marking and how clear it has to be to make the auto systems work, not full automation, even just lane departure. And they said that a lot of the testers found that they were surprised by how the car reacted. You know, a range of cars, not just, you know, not, we're not talking about one brand. In other words, 
it reacted in a way that wasn't comfortable. I think you're right, David. Some cars will react, or some brands, some models will react to both lines. They need both lines to work. Some need just one line. But of course, in Australia, sometimes we don't even have an edge of the road. It's just a, a crumbling mess. And you're right. Some of the steering systems don't react the way they said, especially when you're merging or diverging. Alan, thanks for your time. Thanks, David. This is Overdrive across Australia. Feedback time, and we have Brian Smith coming up to talk about our campaign of making Monaro's great again. Well, we've just seen a Lloyd's auction occur where an iconic Holden Bathurst Monaro sold for $320,000. By the way, the car was first sold in 1969 for $3,995. That's a good investment. It must be all the publicity we are giving it. And we recently covered the story of 1967 Rolls-Royces being converted to electric motors done by a private company and costing about $900,000 to buy. Now, General Motors is packaging a conversion kit for their old vehicles. Their first demonstration model is a 1977 Blazer four-wheel drive. They call the conversion package the E-Crate. I think the word crate refers to the container it comes in, rather than the Australian expression for a poor, run-down vehicle. Is this the way to maintain some form of motoring nostalgia? Tell us what you think. Email feedback at drivenmedia.com.au Now, in past programs, I've interviewed Alan Finlay, who's an expert in the operation of the signal control system SCATS, developed in Sydney and sold around the world. Just a bit of background. It is a system to more efficiently operate traffic signals and to coordinate them, where possible, was developed in Sydney. It was called SCATS, Sydney Coordinated Adaptive Signal System. It was world-leading and has been sold around the world. It had a difficult gestation in development of trying to blend technology, bureaucracy, politics and community benefits. On the ground, many dedicated people worked beyond the call of duty and their pay rates to make the system work. The history and understanding of this product is being forgotten. As I said, one person from the government department was at a conference recently and said it had a 20-year history. In fact, it goes back 50 years and indeed the development probably covers more like 60 years. In the late 90s, there was a project to take a fresh look at a traffic control system. The government specifically and intentionally did not want the new project to interact with the old system or the people who had developed that old system. The new project was a monumental failure that cost millions of dollars. Within the department, over its entire life, few people outside the development team knew anything about what was happening and what it could do. They still don't. There are many instances that people who develop SCATs have left the organisation and when consulting came across people within the organisation that are giving wrong advice about what the system can and cannot do. The system will always need to be developed to take on new opportunities, but that development is now happening by programmers who may not have a good understanding of traffic and there is a lack of understanding of the core basics of SCATs. 
There is a rumour that the programmers will not be part of a specialist team anymore, but will move into the general programming area, and thus a responsibility could shift from one person to the next. I produced a video recently where an expert in using the system described basically how it aimed to help traffic flow. We covered it on the program. It was Alan Finlay. He was not confrontational. He didn't criticise anybody. Many people believe that video should be used in educational areas and for people who are in the transport profession and other stakeholders. I've just had a phone call from a professional now in London who agrees along these lines. I wrote to Transport for New South Wales asking to speak to someone about the current situation and I set out the points that I wished to discuss. I received a reply which said in part, SCATS is a traffic control system designed to optimise traffic flow. Intelligent algorithms process real-time data to adapt traffic signal timings that respond to unexpected conditions, predict traffic patterns and keep traffic moving. Well, I knew that. In fact, I'd said that in my original email, basically. The reply continues. Over the last 40 years, SCATS has established a reputation for being a global leader in intelligent traffic control, installed in over 55,000 intersections across 187 cities and 28 countries worldwide. Today, the product continues to be developed by a passionate and dedicated team within Transport for New South Wales. They did note that there are no current plans to sell the SCAT system. That has been a concern. Any potential future sale would follow the relevant processes which ensure value for money for the people of New South Wales. SCATS has a long history. Having been operating since 1977, many of the current SCATS team have a tenure greater than 10 years with detailed knowledge of the system. The team continually monitors and optimises the system. I shared that response with a number of my colleagues who, having known the past system and are still in many ways familiar with the current environment, felt that it was more public relations than it was an effective technical discussion which could make use of the past history and the modern communication to help us develop a better system. I understand that Transport for New South Wales, or certainly that section, is undergoing another major review soon. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, it was with great delight that we saw our good friend Fred Brain take his Monaro to Bathurst and compete in the historic races there, amongst all the other events of supercars and Porsches and so on. And didn't it bring back the truth in advertising, the truth in car racing, that the Monaro was indeed, at that period, the greatest time of motor racing at all? So we are now in our bunker with our political advisers, starting a new campaign, Make Monaro's Great Again. And to help me with that, I have our Chief Strategist, Brian Smith, on the line. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. How are you doing? I'm very, very well. It's an important issue, isn't it? It is, and I was a Holden boy all all through, David. Uh, it was Holden all the way, and... Uh, uh, and you know when you're at uh, when you were following Bathurst, it was tribal. It's gone from the kind of tribal brand-based loyalty thing to a cult a cult of personality. I mean, there were personalities, weren't there, in the Holden v Ford kind of uh, dichotomy in the racing, wasn't there? Moffat versus Brock. 
Yes, that's a classic one, right? So, so you know, those they they were locked head to head, but they were like associated with that brand. And the great thing about that period, I think, and in the period we're talking about here is the old Monaros, and and these were not cars that were built to race. You know, where they actually built a car that you could own that was pretty much the same as the the one you saw on the track, and that's that made it real, and it made it. You know, you, you could you could track the heritage of the car that your parents were driving, um, and you could see it on the on the big oh the small screen really. <laughs> and we had the equivalent of not wearing a mask. There was no airbags, or you know, we had thin driving wheels. Yes, open face helmets. None of this mamby pamby soft stuff that you get these days. <laughs> Fireproof safety. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah, cooled suits. I mean, what the heck is that? We had fashion and style. What was the haircut of the time? The mullet. The mullet. Bring back the mullet, I reckon. There's a whole bit of merchandising here too, isn't there? Caps, hoodies. Yes. We ought to be able to do, do things here. You know, and, and start doing things in events, right? You get knocked back to scrutineering, get Rudy in, Giuliani to do your lawyer. That's what we want. Where, where's take it to the court? Yeah, just have the have the decision overturned. Drive something on safe. Well, what you've got to do then is you've got to elect the race officials. Oh, this is we're talking Ferrari now, though, David. I, I think we've moved on to Formula One accidentally. <laughs> hey, what do you do about the outliers, though? I mean, I, I always associated sort of Holden with um, with the left. You know, the Labor. Party and Holden, and then Ford always seemed to be the the coalition side of things, uh, the conservative side. I wondered too about then you know the sort of the wacky outsiders like oh, I don't know Chrysler. <laughs> so you know you had Holden and Ford being made in Australia, in the East Coast on the East Coast, right? They're major cities, and and Chrysler was always there out there. They're in Adelaide, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know they're, they're kind of like a weird sort of uh, offshoot. Um, quasi-religions, like, I guess they're like libertarians. <laughs> I mean, the equivalent. I mean, no one ever barracked for them. I, as I remember at school, it was Holden and Ford. I, I can't think of anyone supporting the Valiant, the Chrysler Valiant. Well, you see, the Valiant was the Ralph Nader of the election process, wasn't he? <laughs> he was the independent that could have swung by taking a few votes from Al Gore. But, of course, no, we've got to take it to modern times, Brian, modern times, so that when you come third, you claim you win. Yes. <laughs> and the engine blows up and the wheels fall off. You say, in seasonally adjusted terms, we're just crossing the finish line. Yeah, or you, or you ask for the race to be stopped when the, your opponent is in the pits. I'm, I'm clearly coming first now on the track. You know, let's stop that now. <laughs> no need to count the result. When was the last time you saw a driver throw his helmet? I mean, we, we haven't seen that for a while, Brian. Well, they're robots, aren't they? This is the you're more sort of, I think we're talking here about your Jack Thompson-style, flawed, slightly sort of um, gritty kind of character, isn't it? And, and it went from the car to the driver. Who were some of the other greats? Um, oh, Dick Johnson. and Dick Johnson. Crabby, mean-spirited, whinging sort of guy. Just what we need. Just what we need. No media training. What you got was actually unalloyed stuff straight from the mouth, straight from straight from a very tired, dirty uh, person who's been on the track all day. Hot and sweaty, yeah. Yes. 
you thought Chrysler was bad, 86 was even worse. Robbie Frankovic won in a Volvo, not Bathurst, but the touring car title. Well, you see, maybe that's the exception. That's the thing that makes you want to get back to the reality of evil, you know, the, of good and bad, of baddies. World Championship Wrestling, Brian. We've got to model ourselves on that. Politics has. Why shouldn't we? Ah, this is a good point, David, because because I think there was a sort of showmanship, sort of wrestling component to motor racing. It, it wasn't as, It wasn't fake. It wasn't fakers wrestling but there was a, a sort of parallel among the fans that would go there and that you know remember the the rock incident where where someone may have thrown a rock onto the track and um and i guess that's the equivalent of you know your your wrestling crowd throwing chairs into the to the ring and and maybe there's an opportunity to bring that sort of uh, red in tooth and claw kind of thing back and you can make money you could sell rocks and the bigger the rock would be more pricey Oh, and you're, you're pre- prepared to pay to be someone, the person who, who who could potentially send someone off the road into a flaming crash. Russell Ingall was called the enforcer. He raced cars and that. In fact, he started. He went into another category with the bank oval sort of stuff, which was a bit sort of rough and tumble. And I asked him if he was going to be tough enough to do it, and he looked terribly offended. I mean, I <laughs> I was doing it as a joke. He said, "You know, I'm called the enforcer." You yes, Russell. Nickname out, David. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nicknames. Where's the last nickname we've ever had? You know, they tried to do it with um, the utilities, didn't they? Barry the Mustachio Smith or something or other. It was that sort of thing where they tried to manufacture these goodies and baddies. Ah, look, that's a real risk, is it? That's your sort of uh, reality TV, overproduced, over-edited kind of thing isn't it where you have a storyline and in fact i guess you could take a parallel from some of those horrible reality cooking shows where the driver has to have a tragic backstory so it's not just about that they're driving the car they got there by overcoming i don't know the fact that they wet their pants in in year three or something like that or (laughs) or you know one of their their relatives bought a Toyota Corolla once, you know, but that tragic backstory that you'd have to then associate. Gee, I tell you what, David, it's, it's getting back towards Roman times now because it's, it's like um, gladiators, isn't it? Ah. Yeah, the thumbs up, the thumbs down. Is he the man with the net and the spear? What was always going on with that? That seemed like a crazy choice. Give me a sword. No, you're having a net. What? <laughs> Come on. You, you, yeah, I'm being set out with nothing here. Overcoming adversity might be might be something worth thinking about. I mean, um, how could we do that? Like, um, what about racing with caravans, <laughs> or even having caravans on the track, so that you know you've got to pick your time when you can pass them. A chicane, and when everyone pulls into the right lane at the only passing lane for three kilometres, you get penalised if you do or you don't put your blinkers on. One of those. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> Make the Monaro great again. I think it's a campaign worthy of distinction, worthy of our combined effort. Can we get some Russians interested in funding it, David? <laughs> Did you see that one of the things they stopped doing on Facebook or one of those things was to stop political ads, then you're not allowed to pay for them anymore in rubles. <laughs> That's true. Apparently that isn't a, a, a true thing. That will stop them. They won't know what to do. <laughs> Ah, all right.
right. Well, there's hope for it yet. You're right. Drivers never changed teams in the past. You might have perhaps considered doing it to try and win races, perhaps. Mm. But even then, when you did that, you were quite rightly, well, rightly, yes, rightly seen. Spurned, absolutely. As the, uh, the Judas. Yes. Of Judas. Well, that was the other thing with the utilities, wasn't it? There was one that had Jesus written on the side. <laughs> he was always letting everyone in. <laughs> All the time. After you. He was praying for it to rain. <laughs> <laughs> the road would be magically clear in front of that one. Yeah, yeah. Puddles. He'd just go straight across the top <laughs> of the puddles. Brian, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.